Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Time for a look around the world. Uh, uh, and uh, our regular guide as ever is Jonathan de Burke Butler. Jonathan, good afternoon. Sean, how are you getting on? Not too bad. Right, we're going to go to the US uh, uh, first. This is... Because when we were talking... On Monday, we were talking about uh, this documentary that's on Netflix... Uh, and this happened, I think, during the 1980s or something. There was an ad for uh, Pepsi-Cola. And Pepsi-Cola were offering these kind of vouchers where you could get, and if you, you know, collected a certain amount of vouchers, you could get certain things. And at the end of the advert, as obviously a joke, it said, if you collect four million vouchers, you can get this Harrier jump jet. And a guy sued them because he was looking for the jet. And this isn't dissimilar to that. Yeah, it's another crazy story from the yeah. United States. Uh, all right. And this involves a Florida woman uh, who has sued the mer- makers of Velveeta shells and cheese. Now, that's made by our good buddies there in the United States, Kraft. Okay, who make an awful lot of food and other things. And they're a big, big company. Um, this woman, Amanda Ramirez, uh is obviously into instant meals or instant dinners, but this isn't instant enough for her. Right. Now, she says that Kraft claims that this microwavable meal is ready in 3.5 minutes, but she says that it takes longer than that and that they don't take into account the opening of the lid and the sauce pouch before adding water and stirring. So what she's pointing out in her $5 million lawsuit... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is that it's only the microwaving part that takes three and a half minutes, right. not the whole process. And she says, and this might be the part where she might actually win, that she wouldn't have bought it if she wasn't aware that she, that it took so long. And she says in her lawsuit, or the lawyers who cajoled her into this particular thing, has asked the company to cease its deceptive advertising and they should be made to engage in a corrective advertising campaign. Right. Did they say how long it takes to open the, the, this pot and, and un, undo the uh, They the don't package? actually, but they, they're, 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 because I looked up several sources, to be honest with you, to, to try and get this, but they don't. They're just focusing on the fact that it's it's in the instructions and the, the pictures online of the instructions and everything. They're very clear, um, but uh, they, they're focusing on the fact that it's three and a half minutes for the microwaving part and that it's not enough time. And this woman has paid $10 or just over oh, $10 no. for this. It's, it's quite an expensive dish. Well, for, then I just give her the ten dollars back then, rather than five million dollars. I think I, she I, might be looking for a little bit more, to be honest <laughs> with you. Now she, she's not the only one. There, there was a that case that you mentioned, of course, from a good few years ago. And there's earlier this year there was a man in New York who's taking McDonald's to uh, to court because he claims that the burgers that they advertise in their marketing materials are about fifteen percent larger than the ones that you actually get um, when you go to the when you go to the. <laughs> Actually, that would be a fascinating case to look yeah, at. Really. I think he has more of a chance than she yeah. does in many respects, but you never know. Yeah, and, and presumably Kraft aren't, are, are Kraft entertaining this? Are they offering to settle or anything? Oh, they, 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 to quote them, they said, we are aware of this frivolous lawsuit and will strongly defend against the allegations in the complaint, which yeah. I think is a fairly robust sort of response. Uh, indeed, yeah. But I suppose people take these cases just because they think there's a chance of making a few bucks out of it, really, yeah. as, as would her lawyers. Uh, absolutely. And, and I wonder if she loses. I mean, has she got the money to pay the lawyers or how's that going to work? So uh, I I'd know. say the lawyers kind of went no fee, no 
Yeah. And we'll see how we get on. Kind of thing. Uh, right. Uh, uh, Peru, we're going to go to next. Something a bit more serious. Uh, bird flu is seems to be rampant there. Yeah, in Peru and around the world, when I f- first had a look at this particular story, I was just concentrating on that country. And, and it's over 5,500 pelicans have died in Peru in recent weeks due to an outbreak of bird flu in that particular country. That in total has affected 13,000 birds in the country. Now, these are birds that have been washed up and found dead on beaches and in nature reserves where they're protected and that kind of thing. And it's not a good thing because their status... In, in terms of extinction and that kind of thing is already at near threatened as it is and, and I believe pelicans throughout the world aren't doing too brilliantly to be honest with mm. you but um, there is a strain of it going around uh, and it's, it's, it's in Europe and the United States as well and as I looked into it a bit further it turns out that in the UK organic turkeys or free range turkeys I should say are being affected by this and apparently half of the free range turkey stock that are produced for Christmas in the UK have been culled or have Mm. died due to this particular uh, H5N1 avian influenza strain Um, so uh, it could be a tricky time for some people in the UK in terms of turkey and Uh, and and when I think uh, I don't think there's mass cullings going on in this country but certainly I think there there have been uh, steps put in that uh, uh, to uh, make sure there aren't any outbreaks. Can this thing jump a species barrier if we like, you know, yeah. if, uh, after the Christmas dinner? Yeah, it, if we're feeling a bit peaky. I, I, I think after the Christmas dinner you'd be all right, but they are warning, uh, people are being warned not to touch wild birds or, or to pick up dead carcasses, obviously enough. Um, and it can jump to people, but they say that this particular strain, the one in Peru anyway, which I assume is the same one in the UK, mm. Um, doesn't appear to be too dangerous to humans as yet. Uh, but, you know, these things change, as we know, with viruses. Right, Comoros we're going to go to uh, next, where uh, the uh, uh, former president there uh, got a he- fairly hefty prison sentence. He sure did. This is a man by the name of Ahmed Abdallah Sambi. He was president from 2006 to 2011. And in a couple of years after, he... Uh, well, stopped. We lost the election. Um, there was an investigation launched against him uh, in 2017, right? And originally there were the, there were corruption charges that were were levelled against him, which centred on the selling of passports. Now, this was actually a scheme that he put together. Started. Yeah, it's not legal in this country. <laughs> <laughs> he actually put together uh, this scheme in 2008, which allowed for the sale of passports. Now, there was question marks over whether this had got through Parliament correctly and the mm. like. So that was the first part. Part of it. But then, as the number of passports that were allocated for sale began to increase, question marks uh, arose over where some of the money had gone, right? So, this investigation found that originally he was supposed to get 200 million for these pa- for 4,000 passports, but it turns out something like 48,000 passports have been sold. So, 4,000 wow. was supposed to be, went up to 48,000, and about $100 million has gone missing. So, fair enough, an investigation was launched. It has to be said it was launched by his arch rival, who is the current president, uh, Azali Usamani. Okay, so these have been at each other for years in this particular uh, island Mm. nation, um, which is just in between Tanzania and Madagascar, just for those people who don't know where it is. Um, So he has now been sentenced to life in prison for high treason for his part in this passport scandal. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's high treason. I mean, is there any significance in that, or is it just he happened to be in power when he, he did yeah. something corrupt, the, the, allegedly the, corrupt? The, the prosecutors say that he betrayed the mission entrusted to him by the Comorians, all right, by, by his people, effectively. Now, the lawyers of this former president, President Sambi, 
have said that there's no such thing as high treason in the law of, 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 of Comoros. But I suppose he's not in power, he's not in government. And the facts on the ground are this guy has already spent four years in prison, pre-trial detention. There was a limit on that supposed to be eight months uh, and he's now going to get life in prison, which is unlikely to be appealed. In fact, I don't think it can be appealed. Um, they, spe- they set up a special court uh, to try this called the State Security Court. And in fact, the judge, if I can give you one bit more of information, the judge on that particular court, who was ahead of it, who handed down the sentence, was actually part of the panel that decided he should undergo prosecution in the first place. So uh, you can <laughs> oh, see that this might yeah, just be a okay. little bit politically motivated. Right, okay. And so, as, because as you've said, I mean, but presumably his defence team have been saying exactly that. This is all politically oh, motivated. Oh, 100%, you know, and his daughter came out at the end of the prosecution and says she, that this is, a, that Sambi, her father, is a hindrance to Aseli uh, Usamani's political agenda and he's doing everything uh, to, to remove it. So... Um, yeah, it's it's very much politically motivated, but at 64, uh, it's very hard to see this man getting out of prison again or how he's going to, you know, manoeuvre within the system um, uh, to get out. It should be said that the evidence against him is pretty strong, I think. Yes. And uh, the government of Comoros <clears throat> has, has called on international mm-hmm. organisations and governments maybe somewhere in the centre of Europe to cooperate and get the money back to, uh, to the country, uh, the money that's owed to them. Yeah, the- well, it's a case of both things actually being true. It was politically motivated, oh, but he was guilty. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, but commerce itself, you know, could do with the money. It's not, it's not well, a well-off part yeah, of the well, world. Th- this is the point. I mean, uh, as I said, like, when this was done in 2008, they were really looking for money. It's an extremely poor place. Like, the roads are, are desolate. And, and it was actually started, the whole thing was started at the suggestion of a Kuwaiti businessman. Um, who said he had people back in his own country, which is pretty interesting. They're they're called the Bidun, who are a stateless group of people in Kuwait. They're kind of ethnically they from Kuwait, but ethnically Iraqi, and they've been treated quite badly since the 1980s by mm. the Kuwaiti government. That's another story in itself that might be worth looking at, um, at at some time. But this Kuwaiti businessman was the person who set up these transaction and uh, these transactions, and and money did come in. So there was a bit of. I suppose you could say the motivation behind it originally was was good in a way to bring yeah. money into the the island, but where most of it has gone, nobody knows. Uh, right, South Africa uh, next uh, for a similar kind of story. Mm. Uh, Ramaphosa perhaps uh, facing impeachment. Yeah, this we actually covered uh, part of this story uh, earlier this year, I think, and and it goes back to. Um, a theft that happened on his farm. It's called Fala Fala, the name of his farm, right? He he, he breeds animals um, that are kind of rare and, and big businessmen from Africa come in and buy, buy them off him or whatever. And um, there was a theft on his farm on the 9th of February 2020, right? And the people were caught. The only thing about it was that the, the people who caught them weren't official police. They were kind of Ramaphosa's security, mm. right? And where there's a problem with that is that it seems that these people, uh, the thieves, got away from the property with a very large amount of cash that had been stuffed in a sofa, right? Now, there's different reports. Some say that it was 580, uh, 500, nearly half a million dollars, right? And others say it was four million dollars, okay, that these these guys got away with. Either way, they were caught, they were kidnapped, and they were paid off, effectively, to stay quiet about it. And then the story came out mm. that Ramaphosa had paid these guys off not to talk about this cash that had been stuffed behind a sofa. 
Um, obviously, when the opposition got their hands on this, they said they cried foul and they said, well, OK, uh, you know, maybe you did get the money from legitimate business transactions, but you haven't paid tax on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Ramaphosa came out and said, I haven't stolen any money be it from our taxpayers or be it from anyone, and I never would do it. And of course, the opposition, as I said, they jumped on that. So there's a panel that have issued a report and um, they've two key findings. They've said that there was a deliberate decision to keep the investigation secret. And uh, they said that the submitted explanations were not yet sufficient. Uh, and now they're questioning whether he violate, violated the Constitution and his oath of office by having a second income while he was president. But that's a bit... Vague. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so might this lead to impeachment or it just it makes him look bad? Really, so, anything else. last week all the talk was that he was going to come out with a statement. I don't know if you saw it in, in the news. There was quite a bit about it, actually. Um, and the, the, the assumption was that he was going to resign um, off the back of these mm. possible impeachment proceedings. So the opposition, I think, are going to table a motion against him. Um, but because the ANC have a decent majority in Parliament, it's unlikely that it's going to pass. The problem arises for Ramaphosa because there's still that split between him and Jacob Zuma supporters within the ANC, right? Who <laughs> was also done for... Uh... <laughs> yeah. well, this is the point, because Ramaphosa came in saying, I'm going to clean the, the country new broom, up. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that that's a problem. Now, since then, the ANC seem to have rode in behind him, but the Proof of the political pudding will be in the eating on the 16th of December when they have their their Congress, basically. Mm. Uh, they're meeting to vote their leader. That happens every five years. Right. Okay. So he looks in pole position for that. So he's probably safe for now. But there's nothing like a good South African president for a bit of colour. Yeah, and about, news. about the same time, the next time there's a, a general election, South, and it seems to happen every general election cycle now that their dominance is, is, is waning and this sure kind is. of thing. Uh, sure doesn't help. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, the Indonesia uh, we're going to go to uh, next. And good God, uh, <laughs> they're making sex outside marriage illegal. Yes, that's one of um, 600 articles in the new criminal code that was actually passed today. Uh, it came as a bit of a surprise to me that it was today because it wasn't supposed to be un- until next week. Uh, so I don't know how they sped it up or, or decided to do it today, but there you go. Yeah, it, it's it's there's a couple of aspects to this. Some are free speech and some are morality, okay? So one of those things is, is as you said, penalising sex outside marriage with a, with a punishment of up to one year in jail. Adultery is part of that as well, but it means cohabitation is also illegal and banned mm. now, right? Which is very strange because there's lots of people in Indonesia who live with their husbands and wives yeah. and, you know, have children. Like even even Islamic people who might be more moderate or whatever, right? And now that's all going to change. Um, there's new blasphemy laws that have been brought in. Um, and they're also talking about a sort of laissez majeste, even though they don't have a king there. But you know what I mean? It's a presidential Lace Majestic speaking yeah. out against the president can get you in, in trouble as well. I think three years in prison. Um, so it's a step in maybe the wrong direction uh, at this stage? or uh, Well... For Indonesia? Uh, for LGBT people, presumably this is... Uh, um this is not good news for yeah. anyone who's living with their partner, uh, straight or gay, I suppose. It, yeah. It's not good. Why is it, though, that what seems like a facet of um, extreme Islam seems to have taken such a hold on Indonesia, especially in... Because Indonesia is like so many different islands, yeah. so many different cultures, so disparate. Yeah, and and that is the thing. But it is predominantly Muslim, right? So it's, yeah. 86, it's about 85, 86% Muslim still. 
Um, and those islands that you speak about, you know, they're scattered all over the place. But there's, if you look at a colour map of religions of Indonesia, yeah, yeah. they are sectioned off into, you know, Protestants live on one island towards the east of the country, right? Um, the the fact of the matter is that I- Islam is kind of on the rise and um, more conservative Islam is on the rise in Indonesia for several reasons, right? So one of those is because you had your man uh, Suharto in power from mm. 1967 to 1998 and he cracked down on Islamic groups. He kind of kept them, um, he kind of kept them down, right? Yeah, so slowly yeah. things have been creeping back and their influence has been growing since he's he went in 1998. The second thing, and it's very hard to overstate this, and it might seem sort of frivolous, but the tsunami which affected Banda Aceh up in the north in particular, uh, it killed 170,000 people there, right? And they would be would have been very proud of their adherence to, to, to Islam in that part of the world. And they saw this as a kind of, um, uh, I don't know, punishment for, uh, because they hadn't been as pious as they used to be, right? Yeah. And that has been reflected in their laws. Anytime we've spoken about Indonesia over the last, however long it is now, six or seven years, we've always spoken about Aceh and their, you know, uh, stopping... Um, gay couples and mm. people not being allowed to ride on motorcycles together yeah. if they were a couple, caning of, of people who were involved in adultery and that kind of thing. And it seems to have trickled down now into society where there is also a movement called the Hijra, where you have a kind of a born again movement uh, that's happening in Islam. It's kind of be- in, in Indonesia. It's kind of becoming cool and marketable and that kind of thing. And the support for the parties within Indonesian parliaments is growing so it's 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 happening because people are voting for it but indonesia is, is dependent to a certain extent on tourism especially yeah. from you know australians and that kind yeah. of thing is that means you know you can't go if if you're on if you're an unmarried couple to indonesia this, you risk getting arrested this was the one thing that stood out to me about bali and in the laws it basically doesn't matter if you are foreign or uh, or in or from indonesia they're saying this is going to apply to everybody now it should be said that this is going to take 3 years before this criminal code is implemented mm. I suspect that is to allow for time for challenges to be made in constitutional courts and the like. So this is not a done deal necessarily, but they have been trying to pass this by hook or by crook for a very long time. And this is actually a watered down version of a criminal code that was given to people in 2019. And in the two or three years, intervening years, the government have sort of played it very cleverly, they've taken out clauses here and they've said, oh, we'll go on a countrywide consultation and all this kind of thing. They're playing the long game here and they're tapping into that Hijra born again movement, mm-hmm. which involves an awful lot of young people. It's fascinating stuff that's going on there at the moment. Yeah. Right. So what should we look out for over the next week or so, John? Yeah, uh, just two things really uh, that stood out to me. Friday uh, in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia plans to host a, a Chinese Arab summit, which will be attended by Chinese President Xi Jinping. He's getting around a lot and talking to a mm. lot of people these days. And then elections next week in Fiji, which will be interesting. That will see if we'll get um, the president, Frank Bainimarama, back, who's been in power, I think now this will be his third, if not fourth term, if, uh, if he gets elected again. So, um, yeah, interesting times. Jonathan, thanks a million. Thanks, As ever, Sean. Jonathan de Barca-Balla there. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.